today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you um, about a, a concept that might seem a little bit, a little bit cliche. We're thinking about love today, Zach and Alexis just sang about it. L- love is at the center of, of, of what we want to do, right? L- love is, is at the center of who we want to be. But here's the problem with love. The problem with love is love is great on paper un- until you meet people, right? Uh, until you meet people. You know, as John Ortberg one time said, everybody's normal until you get to know them, right? And that's the honest truth. Everybody's normal until you get to know them. So lo- love, love is, is great, and, and then people get involved, and it gets really hard because people have their real quirks. People have real personalities. I love what Jesus said in Luke 6. Look at this, look at this verse in Luke 6. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. I want to tell you, that's just really not fair to say that, right? I mean, that, do you, the standard that Jesus puts up there, I mean, you read that and you go, yeah, Jesus, but have you met some of the people I work with? You know, you, you, it, 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 he, Jesus just takes it to a different level, but he is so right. What, it's easy to love, it's easy to love easy people, right? It's easy to love Zach, Zach's easy. It's easy to love Alexis. Alexis is easy. You know, um, it's easy to love easy people. It's really hard to love people that are way different than you. And that's a battle that every one of us in our own way are going to fight for the rest of our lives. So today I'm going to talk to you about this issue since love is kind of on the mind. We're going to talk about love when love matters most. And, and when, when, does, when does love matter most? Because I think there's an issue that, that really the last year of our lives, I think it ties in pretty heavy. And so if you got a Bible, or maybe you're sitting there, hopefully you are sitting at home. I really hope you're not out because the roads are really bad today. Uh, a lot of ice on the roads. I slid many times getting to church. So hopefully you are sitting at home. But if you don't have a Bible, then um, we're going to show it on the screen. If you do have a tablet or device, it's, it's New American Standard, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, this is a very familiar passage, but I'll tell you something about it. Don't, you're, you're, you could be overly familiar or too familiar with it, but I'm going to put it into a whole different context today. So let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned and do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. By the way, I want to stop right there for just a second. Now, every time you've ever heard this read, it's usually at a wedding, 
right? It's at a wedding, and, and people are going, and, you know, the, the person, whoever the bride and groom have assigned to read it, they usually come up there, and they're crying a little bit, and they're trying to look at each other, and they're doing all the thing, and they love is pay. It's kind of sappy, right? It, it, it's, a li- it's, a, it's a little bit on the sappy side, the touchy-feely side. I want to give you a whole different filter to look at, a different set of glasses. I want you to put in the back of your head the word choice, Because what you see here is that love is an emotion, but love is a promise, and love is a choice. It's not just a feeling. Love is more than a feeling. Look at what Paul says. Love is patient. That, friends, is a choice. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag, and it is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. That's a choice. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Or in other words, your Bible might say, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. In other words, love lets it go. That's a choice. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. And if there are tongues, they will cease. Meaning eventually that'll, that'll go away. I believe that he's, he's referring to at the end of time, it's going to go away. They will cease. But if there's knowledge, it'll be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have been fully known. He's, I, I, we really believe historically he's talking about heaven right there. In other words, we, we, we don't, what he's talking about is like, if I were to look at you through this glass or through this bottle of water, it's going to be a little bit murky. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make out some parts of you, but not all of you. He's saying, we don't know it all yet. Verse 13, but now faith, hope, love, abide these three but the greatest of these is love. So let me tell you why this matters a lot. If it was written by a man where you would not expect something this deep and this emotional to come from a guy like Paul. Let me give you a real quick context. If you, if you read the New Testament letters, Paul wrote half the New Testament, roughly. I mean, this, this guy is... is, is God's favorite theologian, really, outside of Jesus. I mean, he, he wrote, he, God gave him that assignment, wrote, writes pretty much half the New Testament. And Paul, if you, know, uh, you, if you know me or if you've listened to Clearview much, our staff certainly knows this, uh, I, I'm a big believer in, in personality assessments. I, I love the DISC profile. I love Enneagram. I, I love other. And, and the reason I do is because it, the reason those things matter to me so much is is it taught me how to love better. When I understand how I see the world and when I understand how somebody else sees the world, it actually taught me how to love people better that were way different than me. Well, on the disc profile, I, I'm, I'm pretty, I, if I was a betting man, I'd lay down my money that Paul was a high D. A high D is a decider. Uh, he's a field general. Uh, doesn't really uh, look for a lot of outside opinions. They're, they, they, you know, they're going they're in command. They're, they're always going to tell you the truth. Now, 
How you receive that's up to you. But they're not going to mess around with words. Paul was a pretty much a high D. So, so when you hear the words of 1 Corinthians, it really does take you to a different place. Because you're like, wow, he, he's putting this. This is coming from a guy that, that typically was pretty hard, you know, hard-nosed. He could, he could, Paul was a black and white guy. It, there was a black and a white. For, if you read most of his letters, there wasn't a lot of in-between with, with him. So who is he writing this to? He's writing it to a church culture that is a lot like, um, it's going to sound familiar. So the Corinthian church um, really was, uh, in, in the words of Brian Hatcher, you, you may have heard me reference this before, but Brian, our discipleship pastor, said First Corinthian, or the, the Corinthian church uh, may be the closest thing to Jerry Springer we've got in the, in the New Testament. Uh, it, man, it, it was, that church was divided. That church had a lot of internal sin. That church had lawsuits among believers. I mean, this place, this place was a wreck. And, and, and on top of that, they didn't like Paul. They, they said Paul uh, spoke too plainly. Some basically were questioning whether or not he was very intellectual. Some were questioning how he dressed, that, that he didn't dress the part. I mean, they, these people were tough, man. They were, they were brutal on one another. But they were to carry the name of Christ. I mean, go figure, you know. And... And all of that is undergirded by something that you really do have to, you can't lose sight of this, okay? And this is why, this is, this is why it's really important today. Don't lose sight of what I'm about to tell you. Paul writes about love to a church that is facing a huge amount of government opposition. The, the Christian church was in many ways an enemy of the state, it was an enemy of the Roman Empire. They were persecuting Christians. And, and because of that, uh, it makes it even more interesting to me. And I'm going to unpack that to you. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you why that... Why, how, would, how would 1 Corinthians 13 find its way into a series about strange days? Well, I think... I think it fits a lot, and to get there, let me show you how. I want to. Uh, my, my undergraduate degree is is in sociology, and uh, sociology, you know, psych psychology is how how an individual thinks. Sociology is how people groups think, and I've always been truly fascinated by little communities or groups of people or sports teams or businesses, uh, cultures, why they think the way they think. How do they arrive at that? Well, let me let me give you a. This is this is a. A, a big generalization, it is an, it, it's, it's, it's not 100% true, but it's a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty good overview. So let me, let me tell you how this applies to the American church right now today. So let's start with it quickly with the 1970s. I would say, I would say empirically speaking, and, and it would be empirically because it's really hard to qualify it with, with true research, but there is enough research out there to bring you to this conclusion. In the 1970s, or I would say up till <laughs> up to the 70s, you, the, the church, the, the church with a capital C, you know, the Christian church, the evangelical church was a cornerstone in society. It, 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 it especially all the way up until surely the, the, the 50s, uh, pastors carried weight in the community. Pastors had a voice. Churches had a voice. There were, there were moral representations in, in the community that the churches upheld. And so the, the church was, 
it wasn't on the edge of life. It was way more in the middle. I mean, even when I was growing up in the 70s, you know, there were no sports on Sunday. Sunday evening, uh, you would have some football. Wednesdays, uh, you, you didn't practice because people went to church. I mean, there were still, there were still uh, frameworks within everyday life that were there because of what the church demanded. But, but in the 80s, the 80s come along, Right now, now you see that I, I pulled. That was one of the People People magazine covers. Uh, man, looking at that, this you know, just made me think of, of, of a lot of things when I when I was putting that together. You, you see Don Johnson right there in the, the bottom right hand corner. It made me think of my seventh grade dance, man. Hey, this is no lie. Alexis is from from Miami, right? You remember Miami Vice? And so my seventh grade year, that is exactly how I looked at the school dance. I went with the, the, the I think I had a peach t-shirt. I had the white suit. I even wore no socks because that's what he wore, like no socks and loafers. Man, I, I mean, I had it going on in that day. I promise you I did. So in the 80s, in the 80s, you began to see a shift with um, Christianity sort of became a a subculture. It became its own culture. It was moving away from the middle of community of everyday life in, in America, starting to go into its own subculture, meaning churches do their thing, society. In other words, up until the, I would say roughly the 70s, maybe the 60s, but surely by the end of the, end of the 60s, early 70s, the church and culture were pretty close. And then in the 80s, you started seeing church and culture kind of doing that, right? Well, then you get into the new century, right? I think Time Magazine nailed it with, with this cover, January 1st, 2000, Welcome to a New Century. And, and with that new century, you, you began to see Christianity moving away from being at the center of life to the edge of life, and now it's actually becoming more of against culture. The, the, the gap had gotten so far in the Corinthian church that, that the, you know, Rome and the persecutors and the pagans and the other faiths, Christianity was an enemy of all of that. You got to realize, folks, that even in Jesus' day and in Paul's day, Christians were a threat to local government. I mean, it, 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 it was... There, it was such a movement. The Holy Spirit was doing so much to restore justice, to, to, to bring healing. Um, it, was, it was upsetting entire communities. I mean, the fact that Jesus would speak to a woman was unheard of. It, was, it broke every rule. The fact that Jesus included every color. The fact that Jesus would talk to people who were prostitutes. The fact that Jesus would talk to people from Samaria, people, different tribes, different races, different, different ethnic groups. It, you just didn't do that. And, and so it was a real enemy, if you will, of where culture was, was going. So... When you look at that, you say, Jason, how does that matter? We, we, we call this series Navigating Strange Days. That's what we're calling this, Na Navigating Strange Days. How does this tie in? H how does this, oh, I think it ties in way more than you might realize. Because Paul writes about love in the middle of a season of human history when it was really hard to love people. Try loving somebody that wants to beat you. 
Try loving somebody that their mission in life is to shut you down. Try loving somebody that speaks insults against you, not just in the church, outside of it. Try loving somebody that works for the county board of health, and they just want to see you go away. Try loving somebody that is, has a radical agenda, who wants to mute you. I mean, it, it, it's... It's a strange world we live in right now. And especially in the last few years, you have seen the pace pick up. You've seen the pace pick up on, what, you know, for the, for the first time in my Christian life, you're starting to see church and Christians from kind of marginalized to more becoming the problem. You know, and you say, is that, is that a stretch? no. It's, it's not a stretch at all. It's not a stretch to say that because Christians today are, are seen in some ways as undermining where culture wants to go. You, you follow me? We're seen as, as an enemy. Culture is more enlightened. The times are more enlightened we know this is the way it should be, and Christians are holdouts. And so now the rhetoric that you're hearing in, in a lot of places, not all, but in the rhetoric you're hearing, the, the rhetoric you're feeling in politics, the rhetoric you're, you're, you're seeing in many places in culture, it's becoming more specific to those that don't agree are now the enemy. And I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a full-scale war because it's not yet. It, it, it's, it's not that. But in amidst all that stuff, love gets really hard. So we all know we should love people. Jesus just told us you got to love people that, that are far different than you. So we all know we're called to love. But have you ever thought about why? Have you ever thought about, okay, I know I should love people, but here's the, I'm telling you, this is, this is the $10,000 question. Ha, have you ever thought about why God's word tells you to love? Well, there, there's, a, there's a host of reasons. The first of which Paul lays out in verse 3. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I have not love. It profits me nothing. So I would say without genuine love, our ministry efforts are wasted time. They really are. They're wasted time. And you know what he's saying right there, don't you, in verse 3? He's saying, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, and I do not have love, it profits me nothing. He's literally saying that we're spiritually bankrupt. There's no profit in it. It's truly a waste of time. Ralph Waldo Emerson said something I've never, I'll never forgot. I learned it in college, but, but he said, who you are screams so loudly that I cannot hear what you say. Who you are and what you do screams so loud that I can't hear what you say. You know, you can tell me anything you want to tell me. I'll know it by what you actually do. I'll know it by what you actually do. You can tell me that you love the people of God, but if all you do is stir up trouble in the church, I don't, I don't care what you tell me about what you do. 
I'll know it by who you are and what you do. If you tell me, you know, that you love Jesus, but your countenance doesn't show it, well, we're, that, those don't go together, you know? There's a, there's a lot of things right there. There's a lot of things about the Christian life that I think when you look out at the, at, out at the world, when you look out at how culture looks at us. Now, let, let's make sure we define this. So this is really, really important. And, and I want to say this. I, I, I take every chance I can. I really do. I take every chance I can when it naturally fits to make sure that, that we cover this together. <clears throat> Probably eight, ten times a year. You'll hear this, probably once a month, somewhere in sermons, you'll hear this. And the reason that I continually go over this is because culture is putting constant pressure on you to love based on culture's definition of what love is. But we don't let culture, we don't let culture define biblical truth. Never. So let's make sure we understand what Paul is saying about love. Today, most of our culture uses love and tolerance in the same sentence. But that is not what Paul's getting at. Notice what he said. I want you to really look back at, especially verse 6. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Right? It doesn't rejoice in, <clears throat> in un, unrighteousness. Love rejoices with the truth. And especially to all of you that are in school, you students, you middle schoolers, and those of you that are in the 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, those of you that are in high school, and, and really <clears throat> all of you that are in college, if you're still a student, I want to tell you, you, you came up in an era of American history where you were told that, that it, it is unloving to... To just not be tolerant. You were told it's not loving. Well, let me tell you who's telling you that. Who's telling you that is culture. They're basically saying, unless you adopt my definition, you're wrong. So, so it's, it, it, I've always found it to be fascinating that the people who want tolerance the most, or the most intolerant, that, that, that often, often the most intolerant of, of what love is. Love rejoices in the truth. Love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. So, so biblical love never tolerates sin, ever. Biblical love. I, I want to say it to you. You've heard me say this before, but I'm going to keep saying it, and I'm probably going to keep saying it often. God will never, ever, ever call you to tolerate anything that it took the death of his son in order to redeem it. He's never going to call you to tolerate anything that the Bible calls sin. So we are called to love and yet not compromise. And let me tell you, you think that's just not possible. Of course it's possible because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we, are, we are called to love, and we can love without compromise. We can do ministry in our community without compromise. We can do ministry in this town without compromise. We can, but if we don't have love, then it's really wasted time, and people will know it. They can, they can sniff it out. So I would say to you the big reason that love matters most in strange days, it's not just that it's spiritually profitable if, if we have it, but the heart of it all, and why this, 
man, Paul, this high D, this decider, this field general, this guy that you would think has thick skin and often maybe no heart, (laughs) this guy had a big heart, and he cared a lot. And he writes this chapter in the midst of a world in confusion and a church in confusion. The reason that it matters at the heart of the gospel is that the absence of love undermines the very reason that Jesus came to earth. If we don't have love, we undermine the truths of the gospel. We really do. If we don't have it, we just undermine Jesus. We, look, you guys, we are Jesus people. We are Jesus people. And if, if we don't love well, then in, in fact, we, we work against his death, burial, and resurrection. We are the Jesus people. And because we're the Jesus people, we are called to carry that name. Now, I'll tell you why this pops up in a strange days type concept. It pops in, into my mind at least um, because when you go through what the average America, American has been through in the last 12 to 14 months with COVID, <clears throat> we've never seen anything like it. Liberties have been taken away. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's been emotional and mental, and even in some cases, just physical chaos. Uh, anxiety, stress. And when you're in strange days... One of the first things you'll do, at least put it this way, is what I do. One of the first things that I do is it, it's not, a, it's not a, a long journey for me. I can get there pretty quick. You become self-absorbed. You start looking at how you're getting ripped off. Life's not going where you want it. The, you know, life is, is disrupted. That's the word. We're just dis, disruption on every level. And so when you get squeezed and life squeezes you and it gets really hard, one of the first things to go is your ability to love because we're, we're tired, we're frustrated, we're upset, and in some ways, in Paul's day, targeted. Well, those days are coming. I, I really do wonder this, and I'm not, I'm not making this up. I really do wonder if the average American Christian is willing to accept what G- if even believes, I wonder if the average American Christian actually believes Jesus and, and the Word of God when Jesus said, In the last days, they will haul you before courts for my name's sake. In the last days, you'll be hated for my name's sake. In the last days, you'll be beaten. For no teacher, no student is greater than his teacher. So I really wonder if the average American believes that. But I'm telling you, those days are sooner and closer than ever. And in that time, we've got to love with pure hearts because that's who we are. We're Jesus people. And we've got to love when love matters most. If you would do us a favor, just share this. You know, sometimes you don't always realize that it's not about sharing it to everybody on your Facebook profile. Sometimes it's just sent to a friend. Sometimes it's just sent to a few people. Sometimes it is meant to be shared with whoever you feel led to share it to. But I'm telling you, being a digital missionary matters, and it matters a lot.
So I hope you take a chance to share the Word of God uh, this, this Sunday.